Hello, White Sox fans. Welcome to another edition of White Sox Daily Live. My name is Ian Eskridge, and I am here with my co-host, the Danny Miller. How are you doing, Danny? Uh, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, you know, like we just spoke about, hoping uh, our internet issues are behind us, and uh, I will be here for the long haul. So uh, let's get rolling. Uh, enough with the uh, small talk. How you doing, man? Doing all right. Can't complain. You know, just a right. uh, boy turned 13 today. And uh, today, yeah, I'm well, happy birthday, Colty. Yeah, Colty and I share a birthday. Yeah, we do. We do indeed. Really? It is. Yeah, it's also my birthday. Forty. Huh. Seven. Well, yeah, forty-seven. Happy birthday to the Danny Miller. How did I not know that? I, I guess know. I wasn't paying enough attention today. That's all right. Well, here you are. Sorry, right, it happens. I mean, forty-seven, dude. Like. It's just another day, honestly, at this point. Like, yeah, not so much celebrating anymore, huh? <laughs> I mean, you know, what, the wife and I will uh, get out to dinner one day. Uh, we are planning on doing a dinner with uh, Chicago White Sox Daily Live, very own Mark Orr and his, uh, his wife coming up here in a couple of weeks because Mark's birthday is coming up in about, uh, oh, just under two weeks here, so. Very nice. We'll be uh, we'll be doing that whole thing. Yeah, not bad. You know, we I, we planned on doing it possibly this past weekend, but we had a lot going on. So, you know, like I said, just another day, honestly. Yeah, no, I I, I definitely feel that at at this age, it really doesn't matter much anymore. Counting down the no, days at that point. Thirteen's <laughs> a big one for Colty, though. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. He is officially a teenager. You've yeah. got a teenager. How do you feel about that? Uh, it's fine, you know. Uh, <laughs> I would, I won't, I won't say that it makes me feel older because uh, it really doesn't too much. But uh, you know, it's interesting. We'll All see right. how. I mean, we'll see how things are moving forward. You know, as he gets farther into that teenage. Uh, you know, into those teenagers, we'll see. But um, hey, winter meetings. Indeed, winter meetings. As I've tweeted, hence the uh, winter uh, beanie that I am wearing today. I am wearing the winter beanie for the uh, for the show. Uh, in honor of the winter meetings, which yeah. you know, again, just another day. <laughs> I don't expect big things. Yeah. I was kind of hoping that uh, maybe, you know, for my birthday, I would get an announcement that uh, the White Sox went out and did something to shake things up a little bit that uh, it has not happened yet. Shockingly, oh, we are sitting here waiting for uh, something to happen. Um, seems like every year, well, at least for the last, uh, what, since 2017, I mean, I guess we did get the uh, the Grandal signing, but that was before the winter meetings. Um, yeah. We don't get a lot of news during the winter meetings as White Sox fans, like ever. No, not since not <laughs> since uh, not since the Chris Chris Sale fire sale deal. Uh, not been yeah. like really a whole lot to get excited about as White Sox fan. There's been talk, and you know it's one of those things where talk. The, the White Sox, at least not so much this year, because Rick Hahn made it plainly clear to everybody with a pen and paper and a keyboard 
that the White Sox didn't have a whole lot of money going into this offseason. And so, you know, in also shocking fashion, White Sox Twitter paid no attention to any of those declarations of having no money. And uh, everybody seems to be getting up in arms when other teams are going out and spending huge sums of money, which, you know, I am not uh, not shocked at all. Uh, Grimtall says, hashtag fire Han. Um, you know. <laughs> well, I made it abundantly clear where I stand on Rick Han. Uh, I'll just give you a quick uh, rehash of what I said. And it's basically I'm cautiously optimistic that since Tony's gone, Han uh, is going to retake control of the team or, you know, at least the team that he started to build. And I'll leave it at that. But, uh, again, that's cautious. That's cautious. By the way, if you pay attention to the chat and what I threw out there, uh, you'll see a suggestion as to how Unky Jer can put some money in his pocket. Yep. Sell the team. That'll there you fix, go. That'll fix everything. Well, not really. But uh, the grass is certainly greener. And uh, it seems to be something that nearly everyone that is involved – well, how about this? Not nearly people. The people that are involved in the actual franchise itself, they don't. They you know they don't want them to sell because then they're out of a out of a oh, lifetime job, yeah. gig. You know, right? I mean, that's that's no doubt. I mean, you what do you got to do? You got to murder somebody to get fired from this organization, or I don't know. You know, traffic. You know, large amounts of cocaine. You know, I well the thing is is that he was gone. He was, you know, for quite a while when that happened. Uh, so I don't think that you'll see any, uh, you know, you won't see his number getting retired in the Ring of Honor. Uh, no, but no, no Esteban the Wise of jerseys uh, <laughs> hanging in the rafters. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny. I was going through, uh, you know, I found uh, one of those, you know, cases that you just keep stuff in and then you slide it under your bed and then you forget about it. Uh, I went through one of those, uh, I don't know, six, eight months ago and uh, found like four programs from White Sox games and two of them had Esteban Loaiza posters in them. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. I <laughs> that they're not hanging up, though. I didn't I, I, I wanted to keep them in pristine condition, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. They might uh, they might become collector's items someday. <laughs> yeah. Something like that. <laughs> um, this is all jokes, by the way, before the feds come knocking at our doors. Yeah. All jokes. Disclaimer. Yeah. You know, as you know, as we pretty much had mentioned, you know, what we kind of figured was going to happen is that there hasn't really been a whole lot going on at the winter meetings. Um, you know, I was fairly shocked when they signed Clevenger. And uh, the the official announcement came out on that today for Clevenger, and he is actually making twelve million guaranteed, but he's only making eight million dollars for twenty twenty three. So yeah, so only eight against the payroll this year, right? And then the four, you know, I mean, essentially he's making twelve million dollars for this one year, but they get to space out the payroll. Um, so four million of it hits next year. I mean, like that's some. NFL salary cap nonsense that they're that they're pulling here is just moving four million dollars of it to next year and you know qualifying it as an option. 
I mean, more or less, if he doesn't pitch well this year, the White Sox are going to pay him $4 million to go away. And if he decides if he that he does pitch well, yeah, if he does pitch well, then he's just going to, you know, take his money and run, you know, and he's going right, to sign he's gonna go into free agency year. and yeah. take his best chances at that. So it's 12 million, no matter how you slice it, because he's not sticking around next year one way or the other. Probably not. The only, the only way I could see that it might possibly happen is if, you know, I, I assume that, you know, and I would assume that it's also rightfully so that I'm assuming that Giolito's gone after this season. So, you know, I mean, there will be a uh, a vacancy in the, you know, in the rotation. And uh, assuming also yeah. that uh, there isn't anybody that's stepping up, you know, in a enormous way, you know, it's entirely possible that maybe they do try and keep him around, but... I mean, depending on the year that he has this year, you know, that might not be possible because his number will be over $20 million, and we know that they don't do that. So yeah, uh, I would not be no. surprised if, you know, Mankata is dealt before his before his contract starts kicking into $20 million. If he has a great year, you know, you never know. Who knows? They might just try and get out from that massive payroll hit. So maybe not. I we shall doubt see doubt it, but you know, I, I don't think anybody's, if he doesn't have a good year this year, nobody's going to take that contract. Right. And that's, if he has, I said maybe. yeah, if he has a good year, if nobody else on the team does, maybe they do. But I mean, I don't know. It's one of the, this team is, It's been trying, you know, sold a bill of goods, hasn't really shown up the way that uh, anybody had hoped. And uh, this year looks like we're going to be pretty much headed into 2023 with a White Sox, you know, a White Sox motto of hope everybody's healthy. You know, so well, it's only the first week of December. Uh, the winter meetings just started today. I uh, still have hopes that maybe, just maybe, the White Sox, instead of capping themselves at that $180 million mark that we had heard or, or near that $180 million mark, that even if they get back to last year's number of like 196 and change, that leaves them with roughly $25 million after the Clevenger signing. Uh there's still a little bit of wiggle room, I guess, to go out and, you know, get some sort of impactful player. I won't say it's an impact player per se, but someone who betters this team, uh, you know, but that remains to be seen. Yeah. I mean, like you said, early in the winter meetings, um, you know, I know that uh, James Fegan you know, tweeted out that uh, the quote from Han that uh, just because you get a deal done during the winter meetings doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to win any more games just because they get done during the winter meetings. Um, what I will say, however, is that the longer it goes without those moves being made, other teams will show a sense of urgency 
and make those deals. And then those players that you had earmarked as people that you were looking at, they won't necessarily be there anymore. You know, if you clear some payroll by trading one of these, you know, bigger payroll pieces that you have because you want to clear some room to sign somebody else, you know, if that's the condition of you being able to sign this other person, the other teams are not waiting around for you to clear that payroll. You know, they're going to be out there working and doing their diligence and trying to make their teams better. Um, kind of one of those things why you wonder as a White Sox fan, why is it always the other teams that are out there trying to make themselves better by getting good players? I mean, does that strike you as odd is that when we hear of these signings, it's kind of like uh, more or less a lateral move. They're replacing somebody that left the year before, and the team's not actually really getting better. They're just kind of making a sidestep. It doesn't seem like they're ever improving with any of the signings that they make, and they certainly aren't willing to go above and beyond to try and actually really improve the team. You know, yeah, and you know, and you kind of said it already, really. I mean, while all these other teams are going out and doing their thing during the winter meetings, uh, with that sense of urgency, as you say, uh, not only are is the are they getting their guys, but how many times have we heard that the Sox were in on you know so and so, and you know we, you know the old saying we had a seat at the table, and that guy's gone. That guy's gone during the winter meetings. When you wanted him, you had a shot at him, and he's gone. So just because you didn't sign a guy during the winter meetings and, and go out and say something like, well, you know, just because we got it done during the winter meetings doesn't mean we're going to win more games. Uh, it might. It, it might mean you win more games. Yeah. It might. It absolutely might mean you win more games. But, uh, you know, I digress. I don't want to, you know, sit here and repeat everything you say, but I, I just – I agree that it's a valid point. Yeah. Uh, Grimtall says, sometimes the best move is the one you don't make. Rick Hahn. Probably. Well. <laughs> yeah, no, I I almost 100% sure that he did actually say that. I'm almost 100% sure that I've heard him say that before. Sounds about right, actually. Yeah. So, uh, you know, moving on since uh, <clears throat> we'll talk about things that were actually done at the winter meetings. And, uh, you know, as a White Sox fan, we know that it has absolutely nothing to do with us. Uh, But the Phillies went out and signed Trey Turner, as was rumored that they might. Um, Obviously, buddies with Bryce Harper from their time with the Nationals. And, uh, you know, as my personal opinion, I thought he was the best shortstop available. Um, He's got five tools, you know. I mean, the guy can hit for power, hits for contact, can run, can throw the leather, and he's got a good arm. I mean, not necessarily the best arm out of the shortstops, but not bad. Um, And, uh, yeah, he's kind of one of those guys that if, you know, unless you've got, you know, something that is uh amazing he's kind of one of those guys that everybody would like on their team and yeah we should yeah. be no exception i mean personally if 
I had my way, I'd have him on the White Sox. And whether that means Tim Anderson's here or not, doesn't matter. Move him over to second. Doesn't want to play second. Okay. You know, enjoy your time trade elsewhere. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Trade him for a left fielder or a starting pitcher. Yeah. I mean, by yeah. all accounts, Trey Turner. Whatever. Yeah. Trey Turner has, you know, the intangibles as well as that, uh, you know, good clutch hitter. Not that Tim's not, but uh, one thing that I can definitely say about Trey Turner is that his teammates love him. And uh, he is a team guy. And I don't know if I can necessarily say that about TA. I don't, I mean, maybe, but I don't know. And from what I've seen, you know, what I saw last season, you know, <laughs> with the, uh, you know, poking into the umpire yeah. with his hat and stuff or with his helmet and stuff. I mean, I don't know. <clears throat> and they're, you know, just being a fan on the outside looking in last season, it seemed like there was some dissonance in the clubhouse. We don't know if any of that was true. You know, we've all heard the rumors floating around out there about clicks in the clubhouse and, you know, all these different things about, you know, drama and whatever you want to say, but none of it has really been verified as true. Now, you know, we've said this before where there's smoke, there's usually fire. Uh, and there's been a little bit of smoke around Tim Anderson's name and maybe not being uh, the number one team guy. I won't say that he's anti-team or that he's bringing the team down. I don't want to do all that. I don't want to make any assumptions. But, uh, you know, just watching the way things kind of went down last season, uh, you know, these guys – as players come out and say all the right things in the media about how, you know, Oh no, we all love each other and everything's great. And, you know, Tony LaBrusa is like my best friend and Tim Anderson's a great guy and blah, 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 blah. Hear all these things. They're saying what they're supposed to say, but actions speak louder than words. And there were some times where Tim Anderson was sitting alone in the dugout with a scowl on his face and nobody went anywhere near him, you know, uh, same thing, Jose Abreu, you know, you love a guy to death. If you're, if you've been a Sox fan the last nine years at all, you know, you can't deny what this guy has done for the team, for the organization, you know, uh, and again, you know, we sat, we saw him sitting by himself in a dugout looking like he was going to cry or with a scowl on his face. Things weren't perfect, no matter how much they try to paint that picture. And I think that, you know, it, when we're sitting here talking about Tim Anderson, you got to put some of that blame on him. If he's going to be the face of the franchise, as he's been called so many times, even with a one Jose Abreu on the team. Yeah. Uh, you know, Tim Anderson being the, the, the fire starter, you know, the, he's the, the, the guy with the swag and, you know, the crazy bat flips and the change the game mantra. Uh, you know, I like watching Timmy play ball. I like that swag and that fire. And it wasn't there last year. It was, well, there was fire so, there, but there wasn't a whole lot of. Well, it was the wrong uh, kind of yeah. fire. Grimtall uh, so, says, man, anyhow. Philly sure are going to regret all these 40-year-olds with $30 million salaries and World Series rings. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, even, you know, they've already made it to one World Series. I mean, they didn't win, but 
they were in the World Series. And uh, the best way to win a World Series is to be in the World Series. I don't know if you know that or not, but um, well, you can't get there by winning one game in a playoffs. I'll, I'll say that. I've heard that. I've also heard that. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure it's true. Uh, you guys can go ahead and uh, check my my math, but yeah. check pretty my sure. Math, uh, but uh, pretty sure you can't you can't get there with one win in the playoffs. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So uh, also, um, the guy that the chairman of the White Sox tried to block from owning a team went out and spent. Uh, $86.66 million for two years of Justin Verlander today. Um, Cy Young award-winning Justin Verlander, uh, World Series-winning Justin Verlander. He didn't actually, I, you know, he didn't pitch amazingly in the playoffs this year. You know, he did okay, but he had, had some moments there where it was shaky. But uh, the guy still goes out and gets a huge bag of money. 43 per year. Insane. I mean, not insane, but insane. I mean, like the the way, you know, the way I've always looked at it is that, uh, you know, I had mentioned this, I don't know, a few years ago when the White Sox were talking about the money would be spent um, about going out and overpaying a guy for a shorter contract because they had the capital to do so at the time before they signed all these contract extensions. And uh, they did not do that. And uh, lo and behold, a few years later, you see Scherzer and Verlander. You know, it's mostly, you know, it's been pitchers that have been doing these uh, short-term deals, older pitchers. But uh, these guys are going out and just collecting ginormous paychecks for short-term deals, you know? And they keep on going, I mean, uh, Scherzer had a rough year this year, uh, injury issues. Um, so maybe he's not possibly the best example of it, you know, viewing it from that aspect, but, uh, you know, you know, you lessen the amount of your risk when it's only a two year contract, you know, just the thing is that if you want to, you know, I know, weird concept, but get better baseball players onto your baseball team um, that you might have to pay a little bit more to get these premium free agents. And if you have to pay quite a bit more to get them here on the short term so you don't have to worry about that money 10 years down the load and backloading some silly contract, um, you know, you go out and do things like this and, uh, you know, Cohen doesn't seem to uh, mind too much. No, you know, it's funny. Uh, during the lockout last season, we, uh, we we heard multiple rumors from multiple sources, maybe even, you know, some truth. But uh, there were certain ball clubs that were all about giving the MLBPA everything they wanted to get that lockout done. Then there were others that didn't want to concede anything at all. And I can pretty much tell you which ones are which by the way the money has been spent the last two seasons. And, well, I should say last year and going into this year. 
I'm pretty sure the White Sox were one of those teams that wanted to poo-poo the whole dang agreement. And the Mets and the Dodgers and the Phillies and the Yankees and the Padres were probably all those teams that were like, whatever, let's just get this thing done. Give them what they want because we don't care. We're going to spend and we want to be able to spend. And the reason we don't care that it, the, the CBA is going, you know, the, the payroll, uh, the tax threshold is going to go up so high is because we want the money. We, we want to be able to spend that money because we know you clowns that are against it aren't going to be able to match us. So give us the $242 million a year soft cap with the luxury tax. Because we know you're going to stay under 200. Yeah, exactly. It really doesn't and matter what the luxury tax is if you know that they're not going to go above 190. You know, I, I mean, to be honest, I was shocked that last year that they even got close to 200 million. Yeah, I, honestly, I was too. But you know, it's the same. It, it's the the usual suspects for the most part. Uh, at least over the last you know six, seven, eight, ten years that are going out and spending the money, and. Uh, it's funny that that happens that way. I shouldn't say it's funny. It's just funny that as predictable as it can be because you know, who's going to do it and you know, who's not. And there's no shocking surprises whatsoever. When we get these announcements, really, has there, has there been a huge signing anywhere in the last few years where you go, Oh, didn't see that coming. Not on any of these blockbusters, I don't think. In yeah, my opinion, so yeah, I mean, these are these are the teams that have been known to go out and spend, and the teams that don't go out and spend, i.e., the White Sox. Yes, the White Sox had a payroll of 196 million plus last season. Was a single one of those contracts huge? Absolutely not. When the largest contract in your team's history is 73 million dollars to a catcher over a four-year contract, you can all I can already tell you that. You can kiss your hopes of signing a hundred and fifty million dollars starting pitcher. You can you can you can kiss it goodbye. Ain't gonna happen. Yeah. I don't disagree. Um yeah, I, I was thinking earlier today, you know, if the White Sox were to go out and you know, go looking around and try and sign somebody. You say like somebody like a Conforto or a Brandon Nimmo or Nemo, however you say it. I don't even know how you say it. Uh, I've heard it pronounced both ways from people that are in prominent MLB positions and uh, nobody seems to know how to say the guy's name. But uh, so if, if they were to go out and try and sign a guy like that, and if I was going to describe Conforto or, or Nimmo, I would describe them as lunch pail guys. You know, it, it's not that they're extravagant baseball players. You know, they're like, if you look at their stats, you're like, that guy's pretty good. You know, I mean, we're not talking about Aaron Judge, you know, type numbers where he's hitting 60 plus home runs last year, you know. Uh, even even as far as to go, I would even go as far as, you know, Brian Reynolds with the Pirates. Same thing, you know, pretty good, you know, like yeah. solid outfielder, you know. 
Um, but but it's not Aaron Judge. It's not Bryce Harper. Yeah, it's, it's not Mike Trout. Exactly. It's not. A, it's not a marquee name. Um, and you know that's where White Sox fans have their heads. Is that those are the guys that they're looking at? They're looking at the guys who are lunch pail guys. You know, guys that I would not be upset if the team got them, but I wouldn't be overjoyed either. Right. Exactly. Um, and it's funny because you'll see these suggestions put out on the socials, whether it be Twitter or Facebook or wherever you get your White Sox, you know, fix, uh, you know, any of these chats, the Reddits, you know, whatever. Um, you'll see a certain contingent of the Sox fan base that goes, well, I, I you know, we know that, Jerry and Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams aren't going to go out and spend 300 million plus on a Mike Trout, Bryce Harper, you know, type talent. But then the suggestion comes up for these types of names, you know, uh, and people are like, meh, meh, pass, mm, pass. Well, what do you want? <laughs> If you're not, if you know we're not going to get the Bryce Harpers, the Mike Trouts, you know, we're not going to get the big name, you know, 10 year, $300 million contract. They're not, you know, they're not going to go out and re sign Carlos Rodon because he's going to get four or five years at, you know, 25 mil a year plus. You're not going to get those contracts. But when somebody suggests, okay, well, what about these guys? You go, nah. Now, well, how do you expect to move the needle in any way, shape, or form? Because if it's not those guys, then you're going to get replacement level players. You're going to get the 13, 16, 18 million dollar three year Leary Garcias. You know, you, it, there's got to be some give and take. These guys and, and anybody over, you know, say a Nemo, Nemo, however you want to say his name. Anybody in that tier between his level and, you know, a Bryce Harper type level player is still going to cost you some money. Absolutely. Or if it's in a trade, it's going to cost you some, it's going to cost you some trade capital. So if you want to fall in between, well, then you're going to have to see a bit of an overpay. Yeah, see, and, now, yeah, that's exactly, exact, exactly where I'm going with this is that the White Sox. That's the guys that they, you know, that they're probably looking at is guys at that level where you can expect, you know, pretty decent production. And you know what? White Sox fans would be thrilled. However, the the problem with this is is that now when you had the chance to sign Bryce Harper for $25 million a year, now a Nimmo or a Confort, you know, possibly Conforto are at least going to cost you somewhere between, you know, like probably somewhere around the eight, 18 to 20 for not even close to the same amount of production. Right. You know, I mean, granted, right. you know, Nimmo might have a, a better glove, you know, but he's not Bryce Harper, you know, and if the difference is Larry Garcia's contract between Nimmo and Harper. You know, go ahead and bring somebody up from bring, bring up some utility guy from AAA and sign the guy who costs more money 
because he's a better player. And that's the thing is that the, you know, White Sox fans are so conditioned to not getting what they should get, but getting what, you know, what they're given, which, you know, we've seen how that's worked out over, you know, years and years and years. And, you know, like, uh, I, I know that, uh, you know, uh, Grimtall brings up the two, 2005 White Sox had no star players, which, you know, is borderline true. I mean, I, I respond in the chat, you know, Conurco had 40 home runs and Die had 31, plus that pitching staff was out of its mind and uh, had a bunch of very good hitters throughout that lineup. You know, you had, uh, you know, uh, Carl Everett hit like 20-something home runs. I mean, there was a couple of guys that hit 20-something home runs. Yeah. There was Gooch you know, was probably the most underrated second baseman in baseball. Uh, he was in the top three offensive categories for all second basemen in the entire league. And nobody really talked about him offensively, but he was there. You know, he was slick with the leather, you know, and they, okay. You know, we talk about these, these lunch pails slash hard hat guys, you know, the white Sox were full of them in 2005, but the other side of that coin is, is, in 2005, nobody picked the White Sox to even win a division, let alone the World Series. They caught lightning in a bottle. They got lucky, and sometimes it pays lucky. It pays to be lucky than good. Um, were they not good? Of course they were good. You know, you don't go to the playoffs without being pretty good, and then go and roll through the playoffs eleven and one, and, and win the World Series in a sweep. You, you know, but again, a lot of that was on their pitching staff. So did they have it? I wouldn't say they didn't have any stars. They didn't have any superstars. But they had some guys that I would call stars. Like you said, Canerco, Die, you know, Burley. I, I would Burley was borderline superstar. Jose Contreras, the second half of that year, and then the first half of 2006 was, you know, right. record you know, John Garland is, is, is behind off. You know, I mean, there was a bunch of guys. That pitching staff was. Sweaty Freddie? Yeah, Sweaty Freddie. Another one. Great season. You know, I mean, how, it, it'll never happen again, probably in the history of baseball, nope. where you get four consecutive complete games out of your starting staff. Four consecutive complete game wins out of your starting staff after losing the first one to the Astros in the uh, in the ALCS. You know, that was, uh, I'm sorry, the Angels. Which one? The ALDS? No. The ALCS? Yeah, it was the ALCS, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, divisional so, I mean, series it was the only against loss. the Red Sox and then the uh, Angels and then... Uh... Yeah, they lost one to the Angels, right? And swept yep. the Astros. Yep. So they, yep. they lost the first game to the Angels and then had four consecutive complete game wins. Never again in the history of baseball will that happen. I don't, I don't believe it will. Not the way... Uh, you know, rotations are managed these days. Yeah, the pitching part of it will never happen again. The record thing, yeah, sure. You know, um, right. it happened this year, didn't it? It happened with the uh, Astros, did it? I think. Yeah, 11 so, and 1. Or actually, it wasn't even 11 and 1. It was 13 and 1. I don't remember how many they won. I was uh, too busy being jaded and unhappy at that point to remember how many how many <laughs> games they played. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. It, it was I'm just thinking it had to be more games with the new playoff format, but Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, I forgot about that. Um so. 
I don't know. Did you happen to uh, catch um, our Chuck did uh, an interview with Mike Clevenger, uh, new uh, White Sox, White Sox, uh, Mike Clevenger for their podcast. Did you happen to catch that? I did not. I did. I did see that he was on. I did not catch the podcast. Oh, he happened to mention something that I was unaware of. Um, that what the reason for his velocity drop this season with the Padres was, in fact, uh, that he had an issue with his MCL, and rather than taking a few weeks off and letting his MCL heal, because they were pushing to try to make the playoffs, he kept pitching, and. Uh, that apparently was uh he says he was pitching one legged so i mean you know take that for what it's worth um i mean obviously you know you hope that uh you're getting you know 2019 clevenger out of this deal um but uh even you know close to that number would be amazing yeah but since we're on clevenger let me ask you this uh, I saw it brought up by somebody else. I don't remember who. I can't take credit for this, but I thought it was an interesting question, nonetheless. Um, coming up this season, there they are, the happy feet. I was actually going to bring this up. They this are. is exactly what I'm talking about. So those happy feet, all the dancing that he does with the strict pitch clock coming up this season and the changes to the rules, how do you think this is going to affect his his preparation and and his his performance? I don't know. I was I was wondering the same thing actually. Uh, you know, I thought about him earlier in the year when it when the decision was made that the pitch clock was coming. I I thought about him back then. I didn't even think about mentioning. Didn't it. even think he was going to be for the yeah, pitching for the yeah, White Sox. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't think about mentioning it last week because I was like, well. You know, I was, yeah, now I'm, I don't know. We'll see. By the way, I just realized uh, that we both had to be wrong on the uh, the Astros rolling through the playoffs because Philadelphia did get a couple of wins. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. So yeah, there's, they were, there's no way they, they were good until they got to the, until they got to the World Series. Yeah, you're right. You're right. right. World Series, yep. they went back and forth. The Absolutely first right. Yep. It did go six games, so. Right, six? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, six. Six games. Yeah, it's Astros and six, yeah. 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 Hey, wait way to go. You're 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 your most well informed podcasters here. Yeah. <laughs> well, but, you, you know, know, it's the Strohs. Uh, yeah. So we don't care. Yep. There he is. So is that guy. Running the uh the old TLR turkey drop. There it is. Anywho, um yeah, I don't know. Like this this if if the White Sox do manage to go out and spend some money on this, uh, you know, quote unquote lunch pail kind of guy that's out there, their budget shot for the most part. You know, unless they go above their their number, because if they go out and get, uh, you know, the guy that everybody's clamoring for, you know, these left-handed outfielders that everybody seems to be. Uh, enamored with at this point in time, which I'm not saying that they're not an improvement over what the White Sox have had. They definitely are. And like I said, they're not the kind of guys that I would get upset if the White Sox were to sign them. 
Um, I, I guess just my feeling on the whole thing is, is that if that is, uh, you know, if that's what we're to get excited about and that's your biggest, I mean, you're, you're essentially going to have to have the biggest contract. If you're going to, if those guys are going to sign here, it's going to be the biggest contract the White Sox have ever given out. And are those the guys that I'm going to be excited about if that's the biggest contract that they ever gave out? I mean, I was, I was happy about Grandal, you know? Um, I was too. Nobody could have foreseen the uh, injuries have kind of derailed his career the last couple of seasons here, but you know, uh, I was pretty happy about that signing as well. Yeah. But I mean, like, you know, that's the, the biggest contract that the white Sox have ever had is $73 million. I mean, it's, you know, I, I, I mean, obviously if you read the room in white Sox, Twitter, white Sox fans are not happy that they're one of, what is it, like three teams that have never signed a $100 million contract or something like that. Or maybe it's yep. uh, one of three teams that's never signed a guy over $20 million a year. Or maybe that's it's all of the above. Both. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I can't. No, I was going to say, until this season anyway, doesn't, doesn't Yohan hit? 20 this year after after this year. Yeah. It's 2024. Yeah. I think, I think in 2024 he hits like uh, 21 and a half. Yeah. And then the year after that's like 24 and a half. I'd I'd have to look at the uh, spot track again, but yeah. And he'd be the first one. Uh, Jose Bray, you came close last year with his bonus tied in with his bonus. He was at 19.6. Right. Still didn't hit 20, you know? Right. So, yeah. Um, one thing that has uh, made some sort of news, as John Rudels mentions in the chat, is that Liam Hendricks has been mentioned as being part of, uh, you know, discussions out there. Um, and this is, you know, kind of one of those White Sox things. You know, you're robbing Peter to pay Paul. Instead of just getting better baseball players, you're taking one of your best baseball players and trading him elsewhere so you can fill other holes elsewhere because you don't want to spend the money to do it correctly. You know? Right. Right. We need a we need a left fielder. So we're gonna trade our you know, star closer who has been named a reliever of the year multiple times and uh has been you know one of the best closers in baseball for years and years you know going back to before he even signed with the white Sox, and has continued that path since being with the white Sox. even though Sox fans seem to think that's not true uh you know and i'll agree with you know some of that that the fact that it can be a little bit of a white knuckle ride sometimes when he's putting guys on the base when you'd really rather not see that happen or when he's being you know mishandled by his manager, you know, given eight straight days off and then expected to come in in a high leverage situation, whatever. You know, the fact of the matter is, is the guy is a stud. He is a spark on a team that has been pretty much lacking one for a couple of you know, almost two years now. Uh, and you're going to take him to go get yourself, uh, 
you know, whatever it is. Yeah, whatever it is. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Catcher, you know, second baseman, left fielder, pitch, you know, starting pitcher, whatever. So you're like, you're saying you're getting weaker in one spot to shore up another spot. And he's a closer. So, you know, as a closer, as a guy who only pitches one inning a game, maybe, you know, he's going to go out and get you 60, 70, 80 innings over the course of a season. Uh, How much return do you think you're going to get in trading Liam Hendricks? You're going to get weaker at that position. You're not going to get an impact player. That's going to turn this team on its head and make you a World Series contender. Yep. Sorry, not sorry. Yep. Thank you for the follow there, Joker. I I assume that that's what that what that's reading. But I appreciate the follow. Thanks for thanks for hopping in. Yeah, I you know I don't condone getting worse. Even you know I understand. Okay, so even if they were to take that and flip. Hendricks and uh, go ahead and get you know a couple of stud prospects that were fairly close to the you know to getting up to MLB. Um, you're still you know this is we're talking about uh, the quote unquote contention window. You know that this this team's supposed to be in, and the team's cutting payroll. You know, or possibly, you know, keeping the same payroll, but at the same time, you're keeping the same payroll or cutting the payroll with a roster full of holes. And you just let your best offensive player for the last nine years walk out the door. Now, I'm not saying that it wasn't the right move, but, you know, Rudolph's throwing this stuff out there. Philly's contract expenditures over the past four years. Harper, 13 years, 330. Wheeler, 5 for 118. Real Muto, 5 for 115. Schwarber, 4 for 79, which would be the White Sox' biggest contract of all time, which is amazing. Uh, (laughs) Nick Castellanos, 5 for 100. Turner, 11 for 300. Total, $1.042 billion. Just over the last... Four years. Every single one of those contracts would be the biggest contract on the White Sox. And most of them, aside from Schwarber's contract, uh, by far. Yeah. And you got six of contract. them. Six of them on the Phillies. Now, just in the last four years. Yeah. And, you know, the, the you know, I understand if you look at their, you know, uh, their pitching, you know, their rotation, their rotation's not as good as the White Sox. You know, Nola's great. Wheeler's great. Uh, other than that, you know, you kind of start going, you know, you kind of tail off a little bit. Um, but, I mean, if you look at their lineup, their lineup's absurd. You know, and it's like when I looked at what they have going on, the Mets' commitment to Bobby Bonilla would be the Sox' largest financial commitment. That's Bobby Bonilla Day. Oh, man, that is that feels pretty terrible to even – think about that um, yeah oh, you know so, what I, this is i find this interesting though I, i'm gonna keep the chat going on this so you guys just keep throwing stuff at me because i i don't know i won't necessarily say that uh i will uh make a big to do of it in the stream 
perhaps are on there, but I still, I want to see, you know, how many of these can we come up with? I challenge you to keep them up in the chat. Cause, uh, yowzers, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, they're, they're all ouches. Every last one of them is an ouch. Yeah. Ouch. Yeah. You looked ouch. at Kyle the, Schwarber uh, getting paid higher than anybody in the white Sox. Making six- Kyle Schwarber, the guy that everybody on the South, I shouldn't say everybody. Cause there was a contingent of Sox fans are like, I'll take them right now. And then there were other guys like, ah, he's got that Cubs stink on him, and he's a yeah. terrible outfielder. And but they want, got Aloy. But they wanted blah, Jock blah, Peterson, blah. besides the fact that Kyle right. Schwarber's playoff numbers were better than Jock Peterson. Yeah, Kyle Schwarber is the new Mr. I don't know what you want to call him, Mr. November. I mean, the guy's postseason numbers are insane. Yep. And it just continued to roll this year. I mean, they were insane this past season. You know, this like the dude just breaks in the postseason. Yeah, absolutely breaks. Yeah, uh, you look at this uh, this lineup, and you know, I don't know about anything about the batting order, but uh, you know, I assume that they kind of penciled it in like kind of how it was last year. Well, you got Schwarber, Trey Turner, JT Real Muto, Bryce Harper, Reese Hoskins, Nick Castellanos, Alec Bohm, Bryson Stott. And Brandon Marsh. I mean, Brandon Marsh wow. was a cast off from the Angels. They didn't want him anymore. And, you know, he goes to Philadelphia and starts playing better. Um, I would have to look up the uh, the difference in his uh, WRC plus and everything, but I'm almost positive it, it jumped up quite a bit moving over to the Phillies. And, uh, you know, Alec Bohm and Bryson Stott, you know, are both, yeah, both home, young kids, homegrown guys from the, you know, from the farm. And, uh, Stott was a rookie last year. Alec Bohm, I think it was his second year last year. And, uh, you know, you, you fill in a lineup with those monster bats with guys that are coming up from the minors and can actually play because, Unlike the <laughs> unlike the White Sox, you know, when other teams go out and make their first round draft choices, you know, uh over, you know, the last decade or so where the White Sox were, you know, they tank and then they go out and every single one of the picks that they made in the first round, you know, other than Vaughn, you know, I mean Berger fine. You know, I'll, I'll give you Burgers had his uh, his health issues, um, but you know Collins and Madrigal and Zach Birdie, and you know like you just got like all these first rounders that just didn't, you know, didn't pan out. Carson Fulmer, I mean, granted, like a you know a bunch of them made it up to MLB, but didn't really do a whole lot. And then you know, yeah, it's just not. You know, it's like you look at these other teams that did like just a little bit of tanking and were bad for a few years, and their first round picks that they picked when they were tanking, like their truly high first round picks, all of them are good. And the White Sox just oh, like none of that. Correct like, me if I'm happen. wrong, but Alec Bohm was available when the White Sox picked. Yeah. Yeah, and Brian Reynolds was available when uh, the White Sox picked uh, Zach Collins, Birdie, and and Alec Hansen instead. You know, I mean, it happens. Like, I get it. But to have it happen in your window when you're supposed to be tanking and you're getting these high picks 
and then you whiff on all of them. You know, it's just not good. <laughs> Clearly, you know. So, you know, I I don't know, man. It's uh, they make it very difficult. God, you know, you remember the night, and we, you and I, got together for this along with a few others. The uh, the night that Nick Madrigal was picked, yep, fourth overall for the by the White Sox, and all of us kind of went, you know. I do believe that was the Alec Bohm draft, if I'm not mistaken. I don't remember if it was 2000. Was that the year? Was that 16? 18. 18, I think, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because uh, 2017 was Jake Berger. Rake Berger. Yeah, let me. I'm just going to go ahead and. Uh, no, Alec Bohm was before. Was okay. before the, he was All the right. pick before the White Sox. So. He was. Um, okay, you're right. You're right. You're right. That's what it was. You're right. He was not available. Yeah, but he was drafted before Jonathan India, which, you know, to be fair, like I think a lot of Jonathan India's success was due to, uh, you know, the fact that he plays half of his games in the Great American Ballpark. But, I mean, he's a solid player, and, you know, elsewhere, you know, he's halfway decent. Um, Jared Kelenic, who, you know, was the guy that I wanted at the time, um, he ended up uh, going the pick after India and he hasn't been so hot with Seattle either. And, you know, I mean, take that for what it's with, uh, what it's worth. Uh, Angels are trying to get Liam Hendricks right now. That's bizarre. Yankees are trying to trade for Brian Reynolds. Yeah. That I kind of figured was going to happen, but uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like after, after, you know, like uh, after Madrigal, you know, I don't really see like, I mean, there's, there's some names there for sure, you know, that are pretty good, but I mean like uh Casey Mize, Joey Barton, Alec Bohm were the first three picks and, right. uh, and all three of them are looking, well, at least Mize and Bohm are looking pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Joey Bart's had a little bit of time, uh, had a hard time with <laughs> the, uh, with the bat, but right. You know, uh, I, it, my, I, my whole point of bringing that, up was you know you look at that and you go okay so maybe the Sox did I wouldn't say get it wrong but I won't say they got it right either but then the, the fact that you know they flipped him for Crimble Crimble and then Crimble turned in Napolic yeah let me rough. let me just say that again Madrigal Number four overall pick turned into Craig Kimbrell, and then Craig Kimbrell turned into AJ Pollock. Yeah, the year that you had, you know, and you had AJ Pollock the year, you know, like one of the two years that you had Tony Larusa, who, you know, in your contention window, that's who you decided to bring in to try and win a World Series. Uh, it's 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 maddening. It is. Uh, Grimtall says if the Sox trade Hendricks, isn't this just a teardown then? I wouldn't say that it's a full teardown, but I would say it's a, uh, it's definitely, uh, weakening the team by taking your, you know, oh yeah. And, and Cody Hoyer too, for Nick Madrigal, uh, in that Nick Madrigal trade as well. So yeah, I mean, it's a, yeah. It's a and really- Cody Hoyer pitched really well for the Sox, but you know, since then, obviously he's had some yeah, he had injury, TJ, but you know, Hey, or, you know, so yeah. But whatever. 
It's just, I, I, I guess I was just kind of using that as an example to piggyback off of how, you know, drafting and then, like you say, not spending to improve. You're trading away valuable picks just to seemingly get, like you said, make a lateral move or get weaker. It makes zero sense. It is frustrating as hell. And, uh, you know, again, all of this speaks to the fact that, like what you said, Sox fans have become brainwashed almost. To a point. A lot of people aren't happy about it, that's for sure. Well, we're not happy about it, but, you know, you get to the point where you just, nobody's even thinking about going out. Nobody, you know, and on the socials, you don't see the suggestions of why don't we just go ahead and pay this guy $35 million a year to come to the White Sox. Nobody even th- throws it out there Nobody, because everybody knows yeah. it won't happen. Yeah, everybody as knows. Ridiculous as ridiculous as Sox fans can be. Right. As ridiculous as Sox fans can be with some of their suggestions on trades and signings, nobody, nobody suggests, hey, let's go sign Trey Turner. Let's go sign, you know, whoever. You, you just you don't hear it. Very rarely do you hear it. No, why would you? You know that. I mean, you've seen this team's history with contracts. You know that that stuff's not going to happen. It's it's not even worth really even bringing up. I mean, yeah, okay. The White Sox, the White Sox should go out and sign Aaron Judge. Who says no? Never going to happen. White Sox, <laughs> you know. Right. And, Who says no? The White Sox, absolutely. Yeah, I, and you know, like the thing is, <laughs> is that uh, I had this conversation earlier today that. You know, Zach Wheeler didn't come to the White Sox, and supposedly the White Sox offered him more money. Well, yeah, it was like five million dollars yeah, over the course uh, like of a five-year. You know, people say that uh, you know, like the the standard thing is, is that oh, well, you know, his wife's got family near Philly, so uh, that's why they signed there. I mean, I don't know, man. If you know, baseball players talk to each other. And if you think that if the White Sox offered $5 million more on a contract, if you think that that's the reason is is his wife was like, oh, for $5 million, I just, let's just go to Philly. You know, like I have family near there. I don't know, man. You know, like yeah, to me, I'm, to, I'm skeptical of that. Yeah. Like to me, I'm like thinking, yeah. He probably knows that they're, you know, that they always nickel and dime everything. So if I am going to go somewhere, I'm going to go somewhere where I know that they're going to spend a lot of money to get themselves out of stuff, you know, like Philly. Right. You know, they they have no problem spending money. That's one thing that they've never done. And now that they've got. Zach Wheeler. I'm, yeah. No, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, you got Dave Dombrowski there. You know, I don't know. Have you seen the movie Glengarry Glen Ross? Yes. That uh, the sales Fantastic scene, movie. ABCs of closing, Dave Dombrowski drinks all of the coffee. If there is yes. a guy that he wants, he goes out and he gets him. If it's a, yeah. if he's on another team, he'll trade you all of his prospects because that's the guy he wants. I, we of Sox fans saw the direct uh, result of that. 
being that Dombrowski was the GM right here in our own very AL Central. Uh, or assistant GM or whatever, right? Well, whatever it was, yeah. Yeah, and he got let go Minnesota. by Hawk. Thanks, Hawk. I mean, not that he would have stayed here anyway because he would have gotten poached by somebody no, I'm else just regardless saying he, because he couldn't spend After he money. left here, he went to Minnesota, and he was there in Minnesota, you know, pulling the strings on some big name. Wasn't it Minnesota? Yeah, it was Minnesota. He was pulling the strings remember. on some. I don't remember where he left from here. I didn't f- I didn't actually look. I just know that he's been in he was in Detroit, he was in Philly, he's in Oh, maybe that's Red Sox. Detroit. I'm sorry. I mean, he's just he's been in all sorts he's of places. He's been known to spend. He spends Sometimes the money foolishly. and uh well, I mean, you know, you know, hindsight is 2020, but when you know, we we knew that when he gave Miggy that that ridiculous contract up in Detroit that the last couple of years were going to be ugly. You know, but they did make it oh, to the World the first Series. Five. Yeah. Yeah, the first five looked fantastic. Yeah. And, like, the thing is, is that, you know, it just so happens that Miggy happens to have dust in between his, you know, where his cartilage used to be in his knees, you know? It's just one of those things that happened, and... What are you going to do about it? You know, but the thing was is that they made it to the World Series. They had a competitive team for a few years. You know, I mean, you make it to the World Series and then you worry about the consequences of the payroll later. Generally, is the way it goes. You know, and they do not do that here on the South Side of Chicago. So. Yeah, put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers. Coffee's right. for closers. That is exactly right. Grimtall says on Sox, Sox Talk every offseason, there's a 150-page thread for X big name player. This year, it's three pages, and people just post pictures of their favorite sandwich. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, yeah, so... Uh, I don't know. What are we going to get? Like uh, a reliever or two <laughs> from the winter meetings? Maybe a first baseman to uh, back up Vaughn? Yeah, I, uh, I, you know, I saw somebody post that question, you know, MLB winter meetings predictions. And I, I don't know. I immediately thought back to last year where, you know, there was no winter meetings. And uh, the year before where they were done, you know, via conference call. You know what I mean? And I thought to myself, well, if, uh, oh, good evening, Penny. Sorry. Uh, somebody's excited. But uh, apparently she doesn't like my opinion here. She doesn't want to hear it. Hey. Um, she's got to hear it, man. You know, Some of these people don't bias, want to hear it. Recency bias tells me that uh, we're going to get a trade. You're going to trade half the farm for an overpaid utility player. And then you're going to get radio silence until, I don't know, a couple of days before spring training or maybe even into spring training where we get to, you know, a little bit past their prime uh, bullpen arms. That's about all I expect. And maybe, you know, another Vince Velasquez type depth of the rotation pitcher. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's coming. I mean, I... I'd be pretty shocked, actually, if they do trade any of their uh, top, you know, like not any of, but, uh, you know, if Montgomery's gone or Ramos is gone, I I would be pretty shocked if Ramos, Montgomery, or say, 
you know, maybe Jose Rodriguez or something along those lines. If, you know, more than one of those guys was gone and I don't think it would be Montgomery. I think he's, I think he's sticking. I don't think they're letting him walk uh, or, you know, sending him elsewhere. I would be fairly shocked. As far as guys who have not played uh, an MLB game for the White Sox, I would probably say Colson Montgomery and Oscar Colas are untouchables at this point in time. Uh, just for uh, Colas, for the simple fact that he's going to be your starting right field. Yeah, that's uh, that's why I didn't bring him up because he's going to be playing right field for the White Sox this year. They're not trading him. Grim tells yeah, us, I don't know. <clears throat> I don't think anyone there's, from Project Birmingham is getting traded. And I wouldn't necessarily well, go that was, far, but yeah, there's. I mean, there have been reports that even though the White Sox farm system is rated as one of the lower end farm systems right now, uh, there have been reports that their farm system is getting quite a bit of attention uh, these couple these last couple of weeks rolling into the winter meetings, and it was expected that that farm system would continue to get some attention at the winter meetings. Uh, possibly because, you know, it might be partially because of, of what, you know, Rick Hahn has said publicly that, uh, he feels like, you know, changes are going to come probably more easily via trade than by going out and spending money, which is what we are advocating for. But, uh, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. Does it really matter? No, I mean, ultimately, it's the same result. You know, it's either you're weakening your team for the immediate future, you know, by trading guys that are on their way up. And, you know, that's the one. already part of the ball club. Yeah, that's the one thing about the White Sox farm system is that, yes, it's rated low. And there's two reasons for that. A, the depth of the system. It's very top-heavy, just like it was before the initial wave of guys came up. And number two is a lot of the guys that are, you know, there there are obviously some, but, you know, a bunch of the guys aren't like 17-year-old kids from, you know, the Dominican, you know, and Panama and stuff like that. Those guys that are the kind of guys that generally drive systems up a lot, are guys like that. And the White Sox just don't have a ton of guys like that over the last two years. They're, you know, they got some guys that are like 20 and, you know, Ramos, you know, made some, made some waves and, uh, you know, some of the younger guys are, are, are pushing, but like, they're not the big names from these international prospect lists that are, that are getting this kind of love, you know, right? like you got, uh, you know, like a, a DJ Gladney kind of guy, you know, young, you know, but he wasn't, uh, you know, he's stateside, you know? So, I mean, there, there are some young guys that are getting a little bit of buzz, but the thing is, is that they weren't, you know, on the international draft list as the top prospects to get pulled out. You know, right. these are guys that are surprising, you know, other executives, by playing well, you know, so that's what, that's why the system's ranked low and there are some guys that could do some things for you via trade. The problem is, is that if you get rid of them, 
is that in a few years when Moncada's contract's up and Aloy's contract's up and, you know, assuming that Jerry's still here because he's going to, he's like the crypt keeper. He's going to be here until he's 120. Um, <laughs> you know, assuming that he's still here, he's not going to pay any of these guys if they do start playing well. Right. So you're going to have to replenish it from the system. And if you trade every single one of these guys away to, you know, get a, a Brian Reynolds or something like that, somebody who's going to help, you know, you know, well, and I mean, he's not thing. putting you over the top. How about that? That's the thing. When this rebuild started, you know, Rick Hahn went out and made moves for near ready, near MLB ready talent. And, you know, we get into, you know, year three, four, and five of this rebuild, and the contention window starts to open up, and we started seeing more of the prep draft. And it was all part of the plan from the beginning was to to build a monster and then keep that pipeline flowing with these young kids, these prep kids, these 16, 17, 18-year-old kids. They finally got to that point, yeah. Right. And the problem was now is that your contention window was derailed the last couple of seasons by ineptitude in the, the managerial and roster construction. I'm not going to, I'm not going to throw it all on Tony and the training you know, department, I, the training staff, you know, the team not having the fire of its own or, or having the gumption to go out and prepare themselves in a lockout, you know, season. They came in totally unprepared and looked like garbage. They they do shoulder some of the responsibility themselves. Yeah. But now you've been set back a season or maybe two. And this pipeline that was supposed to continue the success that was supposed to have been had is now the only pieces you really have to work with without weakening your current roster, which... Do we know this current roster is capable of really doing anything? It was supposed to be, it it was always supposed to be doing something, but you know we've seen these guys can't stay healthy. They don't perform at the level they were meant to perform at. Uh, it's again, it's another one of those things. It's the situation is maddening. But we heard that the reason that the farm system was going to look weak was because those guys were going to graduate. They were going to come up, and they were going to be impact players. And while they were doing their thing, these young kids were supposed to be developing. And now we're seeing, you know, a situation where these impact players did not become impact players, at least not to the potential that we hoped for. And these youngsters might be relied upon to fill in some roles before they're, you know, full development happens. You know, we've been talking about it here for weeks where it's a very good possibility. We're going to see someone from the minor league system fill in that hole at second base this year. Someone who might not be particularly ready to come up and contribute in an impactful way at the MLB level. Sure. We saw things from Romy Gonzalez. When he came up here, he had flashes. We saw some things from Lenin Sosa. He had flashes. Neither one of them jumped off the page. And yeah, not, when they, not immediately when they came up now. Yeah. No. Now we're talking about, you know, the possibility of one of those those guys or maybe a Yolbert Sanchez or, you know, whoever it turns out to be playing second base. Uh again, 
we can be told that, you know, these are situations that you can't throw money at, but that's garbage. That's garbage. If you want to keep that pipeline flowing, that's exactly how you fix these situations. Yeah. You throw money at it now so that you don't exactly. have to throw money at it later. You want to see, you want to, you want you throw money at it. You get that payroll up. You get yourself that window. You get yourself that confidence. You, you, you instill that winning culture now so that when these younger guys that are supposed to be coming through the pipeline come up, they're already part of a winning culture. And guess what? When those guys come up, they're still on rookie contracts and the payroll goes down. But you're going to have to throw money at it at some point. It goes point. down if you, if want... you don't sign them to early extensions, guaranteeing them money well, that you didn't have to pay them. I mean, that's part That's part of the White Sox payroll conundrum right now is that they paid all these guys before they did anything. Well, you got to hope that that lesson's been learned. That was outside the box thinking when it happened. It didn't work out. Time to move on from that train of thought, honestly. And I you mean, know what? There were a lot of us that, that thought maybe that was a great idea. I didn't think it was believed. a bad idea. You know, but no, we all believed that, that these guys were going to be who we were told they were going to be. And unfortunately, none of these guys can stay healthy long enough to show us that there's <laughs> that. And there's also, you know, the thing that we, you know, you bring up about uh, being part of a winning culture is that these guys have been in the White Sox system and the teams are always bad. And that winning culture is not something that is cultivated, you know? Is that yeah. that's not what you know? Th- these players are getting by on their natural talent. You know, you watch Luis Robert, and he's down in the minor leagues, and he's hitting balls four hundred and eighty-five feet down the street. You know, like tin cup, and the ball just keeps on bouncing down the street, and it goes to the next county. You know, I mean, and this is all on God-given talent. You know, like this isn't anything to do with really with development. Now, you know, knowing now what they're doing in the, in the minor league system, as far as hitting goes and finally incorporating analytics and swing, you know, biomechanics and just all this stuff that they're starting to do now. And all these guys are benefiting from it. The guys that are up now didn't benefit from that because, you know, you had guys like Omar, you know, you know, bring up that uh, yesterday was the anniversary of Omar Vizquel being hired um, you know, a guy who Oof. railed against <laughs> analytics and he's the manager for Luis Robert in Winston-Salem, you know, and, you know, he's talking to all these young guys that are coming up and, you know, basically crapping on analytics and not giving them the information that they need. And it was a systemic thing for these guys, you know, you got Aloy, you know, all these guys that came up and are the core of the team right now didn't deal with any of that stuff in the White Sox system. You know, I assume that Aloy had more analytics information available to him when he was in the Cubs system than when he came over to the White Sox. And the fact that, you know, Jose Abreu is buying, you know, iPads for other guys on the team so they can look at video is absurd, you know, and I glad to hear that they're moving along and past that at this point and that they're bringing up analytical staff up to the White Sox managerial team, but that doesn't help the guys that are here now with their development. It will now, you know, but it didn't on the way up. So, right. You know, you got these guys that have been playing, you know, 
at the major league level since 22, 23 years old. They're now 26, 27, 28 years old. And uh, now, now you want to develop them the way they should, should have been in exactly. the first, like that's it's ass backwards and yep. uh, <clears throat> disappointing. And, you know, I, there are a lot of folks that will argue against you that will say, you know, if you say, well, the White Sox are, you know, they operate like a small market team. But the reality is, is okay, maybe they do operate like one. And we might play second fiddle to the guys on the north side in this city just because of, you know, well, let's just throw, let's just call it what it is. Ownership, really, is what it's been and the way the organization has been run to an extent. Uh, not that the Cubs have been run great. They had WGN, means. you know, and not right. sports. But vision. they had, right. So, you know, uh, when when I bring this up, I guess what I'm trying to say is, is even though they're run like a small market team, there's no reason for it. We are the third largest market in the U.S., the third largest market in baseball. There is no, absolutely no reason to run this team like a small market baseball team. The difference between White Sox fans and Cubs fans or White Sox fans and fans of, you know, other large market teams is that they want to see a product on the field before they come and spend their hard earned dollars on this team. And the one thing that Jerry Reinsdorf needs to get through his damn skull, pardon my French, is that if you put the product out there, you're going to make your money. Your team is going to sell 2 million tickets a season. You are going to sell merchandise left and right. Your stadium will be filled. Your vendors will be happy. Your fans will be happy. The TV contracts will get extended because you are going to make the playoffs more often. There's more money in your pocket. The initial investment of putting the players on the team is going to bring you more money in the long run. But they don't want to see it that way. They're afraid of taking chances. They don't like to take a chance. They play smart money. And they play smart money at the expense of the fans that have to watch it. I mean, sorry, that's my rant. Uh, I know we, I got a little heated about, there, but it's just garbage. Yeah, well, we've <laughs> talked about this before. Is that you know, smart money? I, I wouldn't say that they necessarily have spent smart money because well, you know, no, we've we, talked they about, but that's the way they feel. Six million dollars a year on you know four guys, it equals twenty four million dollars. Just like getting one guy that's twenty four million dollars, but when this you know the the four guys that make $6 million have like a, a one combined war. And then the guy who makes 24 has like a four or five war, you know, I mean, it's, it's just a penny wise pound foolish is the, uh, the one that, that, uh, that I like Grimtall. Uh, officer Doofy says if Ramos stays true, West Cath will be big trade for someone or be trade for someone big. And I see Jose Rodriguez gone given that they have Montgomery succeeding. You know, <clears throat> I don't know about that. Uh, as far as, uh, Jose Rodriguez, I mean, anything is possible, but, uh, you know, Jose Rodriguez has been playing a lot of second base, having him and Montgomery together. Um, I would not be surprised if, uh, that becomes a thing. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, if Westcath got traded either, you know, but, uh, they're working. I know that they're working big time on, uh, on Westcath's swing. He's got a very nice swing, but, uh, where the power comes from in his swing, uh, I th- know that they're working on that. Uh, 
No, I think Bryce, I heard something about him working on his coil, his hips. No price, but Larry. Yeah, that's the Drake meme. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I know that one. That's good. Yeah, no price, but Larry. Yes. Yeah, I don't know. So, winter meetings. We'll see what happens. I'm not really counting on anything happening uh, of any consequence, and you know, like. Like uh, Rick Hahn said back in, uh, what was it, 2018, is that no matter when the trade's made, it doesn't get you more wins if it happens at the winter meetings or after the winter mm. meetings. So, you know, he uh, might. wants to play the uh, the long game here and uh, not, you know, try and do anything too early just because it's, it's the winter meetings, which, okay, fine. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I would hope that he just means that he's not looking to pull the trigger on something just because it's the winter meetings. No, 100%. but if the That's opportunity presents itself, by golly, freaking do it. If it's something that's going to improve your team. But again, like you said, not to beat a dead horse, if we're trading just to trade to get, if we're getting weaker one position just to get better in another position and we still have a hole to fill, why? Why even bother? Yeah. Because you're still left with holes. Yep. I mean, you know, they've, you know, the thought process has come up that Raylo could be a closer, which is very well, you know, it's a, possible. A, a viable option. I mean, the guy throws gas, you know, and uh, can continue that, you know, I mean, I mean, heck, the guy was, you know, hitting 110 pitches, you know, earlier in his career and still hitting 97, 98 and, you know, like the eighth, ninth inning before you know when he had yeah uh, there was i remember those see. games where there was talk where he'd even get stronger you yeah. know as a game went on yep uh, and uh you know i mean he could he could handle the closer role assuming that uh you know now that he's had lasik surgery and he can actually see signs and you know from the catcher well, that's all fine and dandy but again I, I ask what are you going to get in return for liam hendrick don't know that is that is going to be of consequence for this White Sox team, if you want to get better, I would think he would have to be part of a package deal. You're you're not going. I mean, if that's the case, and you're going to get me somebody who is going to improve this lineup, and you know, if you at the end of the day look at this lineup and say, "Wow, that's a banger of a lineup," sure, I'm I'm open to that. You know, but again, it's going to have to be a package deal because there's no way Liam Hendricks is that guy that's going to make this lineup a wow kind of no. lineup. Nope. You know, he's himself. not. Yeah, he's not going to get you the kind of return probably that's going to, you know, fill one of the two major holes in the field, left field and second base. Right. Um, you know, he's not going to fill that with a major league player that's going to, you know, end up being you know a stud for the for the future. It's about time to uh, to call it in. It's uh, ten thirty on a Monday night. I thank all you guys for coming out and hanging in the chat. And uh, hopefully next week we've got something positive to talk about. And Rick Hahn's got some deals up his sleeve, whether they be free agent acquisitions or whether it be some sort of a trade that nets them something that is useful for the big league ball club. Um, you know, hopefully we are you know not robbing Peter to pay Paul. But, uh, yeah, you know, we just, uh, 
Is this Ray Lowe's last RB year, same clock as Geo? I think so. I think this is his last RB year. Um, he came up before Geo uh, with the Nats, I believe, um, in 2016. I think he was up. So I think he. Uh, I think they both came up the same year, and I think Raylo was there a little bit earlier, if I remember correctly. Um, but uh, yeah, hopefully there's something positive coming up this week, and uh, they do something to uh, spark this fan base because I know that this fan base is feeling quite weary from watching other teams do things and uh, having a feeling of hopelessness as the. Uh, window of contention is supposed to be here and we're sitting here watching the same thing every year where there are just big holes in the lineup and uh no solutions in the pipeline uh so i don't know we'll see uh thanks for coming out uh whitesoxdaily.substack.com is where you can find this in podcast form you can also find it at all of your podcast purveyors uh yes ggs bro um Thanks for coming and hanging in the chat uh, at Daily White Sox on Twitter. And uh, we've got a Facebook page as well, White Sox Daily. Uh, feel free to pop by there if you are on that platform. And uh, for myself, Ian Eskridge, and for my co-host, the Danny Miller, thanks for coming. Have a great night. We will see you next week. <laughs>